0: Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Dieter Kurtenbach is here. We are Hi. going to go through every game one in the NBA playoffs. We're going to basically look at it through the lens of the team that lost and how panicked they should be. We're going to rate every team on a scale of zero to five in terms of what their panic meter level should be at. Dieter, how you doing?
1: I'm personally at a panic level of about two, but that seems to be more or less my normal levels. I, I never really go below a two, and I, I hope I never go above a four, but... That's for other people to determine.
0: I'm doing I was fine. Say, I feel I feel like a two is it's a good number for you typically. For,
1: <laughs> well, you know, we, we all like to view ourselves in the most optimistic light.
0: Uh, I, I would say I'm at like a two as well right now. You okay. know, maybe, maybe a one even. Like I, I would say a week ago when I was traveling for the Final Four and when I was traveling up to Hoop Summit and everything, I was like at a solid three five. Right. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's just that's just life on the road, not having your shit around you. Mm-hmm. Not having you know Laura in your life, like just kind of being out there and vulnerable.
0: Yeah, and like my dog has like a sprained like left uh, leg right that's now.
1: A, that's a, that's a half point right there.
0: So that's you know it's just a little small thing right now that's going on yeah. in my life. Um, this sponsor, this podcast is sponsored today by Robinhood. We'll get to them later on. I'll find some sort of nifty transition to talking about ETFs and stocks and bonds.
1: You'll just slowly kill me with it, too. I'm not going to see it coming. I swear to God, I haven't seen the last, like, ten of them coming. It's, it's really starting to become an issue for me.
0: So the first game that I want to talk about, though, is actually, uh, I, I want to talk about the Jazz and the Rockets. We're just going straight into it. Game one. Yeah, we're going to go straight into this. Like, w- we can talk about other stuff, like, later on if we want. Like, I, s- I finally saw Can You Ever Forgive Me? We'll talk about that later. Oh, I haven't um,
1: seen that yet. Don't spoil it for me. Did they uh, ever forgive her?
0: Uh. I'm not sure. It's left open.
1: Uh, I art films.
0: Okay. (laughs) Jazz
1: Rockets, 32 point win for Houston.
0: So this, I have the jazz at a four, uh, in terms of panic meter. Uh, I agree. do Do you have that as well? Yeah.
1: That's exactly the number I have.
0: So here's why I am markedly more concerned about the jazz than about anyone else, at least among like the four or five games and the favorites, right? The defensive scheme that they tried to use to guard James Harden was one of the worst things I think I've ever seen a good defensive team do. Mm-hmm. Um, so they basically tried to sit on James Harden's left hip, yes, in order to force him to the right. Now this is a strategy—the Milwaukee strategy Milwaukee used earlier this year. Yeah, they did it successfully.
1: Because Milwaukee's long as shit.
0: Because Milwaukee's long, and honestly, because just Harden didn't shoot well in those games. Like I, I think that that played a role, and honestly, he didn't shoot super well uh, in this game either. I think he had yep. 28 on 26 shots or something like that. Yeah. The problem is that what Milwaukee did was they sat on his left hip as he was coming up the floor and thus dragged him to the right side of the floor and then made it more difficult. They essentially cut the court in half on right. Houston by doing this. What Milwaukee is really good at, because of their length, is help side defense. They're really good at keeping the ball on one side of the floor, keeping the actions on one side of the floor. The Jazz didn't really harass Harden up the floor at all. So he got to the left side, he got to the middle of the floor, and then they would start to hit on his, sit on his left hip
1: doesn't do anything. The the problem is
0: right. When you do that, you're just allowing James Harden to get into the middle of the floor and you're going to get your ass that way. Yeah. Like James Harden has, his vision is too good. He's a three level scorer at an efficient level from all three levels. Mm -hmm. There's just not really a circumstance where that strategy is tenable. The jazz are a good defensive team. I don't understand why they are going about trying to handle James Harden in this manner. Uh, I would just play straight up. Like everyone was complaining about like Rudy Gobert and how Gobert was not very good in that game. I don't no, really that's... think there was anything he could do.
1: Um okay, that it depends entirely on your preconceived notions heading into that series about Rudy Gobert. As somebody who has been sort of a a Rudy Gobert um, seller in the sense of his defensive ability, that, that game lent itself perfectly to my narrative. If you think that Rudy Gobert is, you know, the best defensive player in the NBA, um, then you should believe that there's things that he can do to, to stop that. So it really just depends on your perspective of Gobert, and he is a rather polarizing player in that regard.
0: Yeah, so the Jazz in this game gave up a 122 defensive rating. That is their fifth worst mark this year, and it's their second worst mark since November, like, Thanks. ended. So all of those early numbers happened early in the season, they were still figuring things out, they were dealing with some injuries. They've been just as advertised defensively this year as we expected.
1: Right. Totally different beast, though. It's a different sport in the playoffs. It is,
0: and it's a different sport when you're playing Houston because Houston particularly can take advantage of a lot of what Houston or a lot of what Utah wants to do defensively. Like right. Houston wants teams basically to play drop cover that they feel <laughs> yeah. like they can get shots. From behind the arc with James Harden and Chris Paul when teams drop coverage. The problem and that's is That's exactly
1: what Utah did.
0: Utah played drop coverage in pick and roll when even there weren't pick and rolls there. Yes. Like they just played drop coverage with Rudy. Um right. and had him sit in the paint. And James can knock down floaters with ease. Like that's a silly strategy. And then um, um
1: I, I want to disagree on that real fast because Ultimately, you know that you have to pick your poison with James Harden, right? And, and I thought Gobert was just in the worst possible position because, as much as he was dropping, he was still being too aggressive in, in sort of coming and and attacking Harden once Harden got past his main mark. And so you thought it,
0: he was too aggressive.
1: I thought he actually came too far forward on a lot of the drops that he was trying to contend with Harden to take away the floater and then that only allowed Harden to dish it out and then you had help side it it, it fucked up the entire help side defense of the Jazz which honestly isn't elite uh, but it's pretty well stationed most of the time with Gobert coming up Harden I, I don't know how many floaters Harden took in the game but ultimately of the three places where James Harden can score I want him to take the floaters Between all three of them. Because if he gets to the rim, you know what he can do. If he shoots from three, yeah, okay, that's probably the best option because it's the longest shot, but he's still gonna knock down a lot of them. Now you're now you're really dependent on him just having a bad shooting night. Whereas the floater, it's two points. I don't think he's hyper efficient at it in the way like a Steph Curry is. Uh, And especially, and it keeps your help side defense there if Gobert stays back a little bit, where now you don't have to throw another guy from the wing to help out with Capella. And you just basically force Harden to put up a bunch of floaters. And if you lose that way, you lose that way. But you need him to be shooting one, and two, you need him to go to arguably his worst spot. And I think that that is, ironically, that kind of 10 to 12 or 8 to 12 footer uh, inside the free throw line.
0: So on floaters this season, James Harden uh, scored 198 oh, no, points, which yeah. was third in the NBA and did right. it at a uh, 0.99 uh, point per possession mark, which, which is really rock solid is, <laughs> yeah in the 77th percentile in the NBA. So well, that's
1: my point. Like everywhere else though, what is it's ridiculous. Yes, he shoots a lot of threes. Don't get me wrong, but like, I guess you want him to shoot threes, but if you don't, if he's not going to shoot threes, if he wants to drive, you now have two choices. And with Gobert going forward, I guess three choices, you can force Harden to get rid of him.
0: The better choice is just to stop him from getting downhill.
1: I, there's, I don't think there's a single way that the Jazz can do that. I don't think they have. A, I don't think that they have a defender that can stop him from doing that. Unless you're going to throw. Traps I would. At I would just from, play from
0: regular jump. drop coverage in your pick and roll instead of playing like six. What the, the Jazz were at points playing like twelve feet off of him in terms of drop coverage. Like if I was That's them, fair. I would play like. Have the gap be like seven or eight feet slow him down from getting downhill because then you're dead because if he gets downhill he can go floater because he has such good body control or he can get into your body and either make shots because he uh, drops your drops you back and makes it harder to block the shot or he draws a foul. And that's yep. the worst possible scenario. So if I, if I was them, like the biggest key for me is stop James Harden from getting downhill. And to do that, if he's on the right side of the floor already. Right. Yeah. I have no problem just playing on his left hip. Just essentially run like ice coverage and mm-hmm. bring him down into the baseline help. But. If he's on the left side of the floor, if he's in the middle of the floor, just play it straight up. Like, don't go crazy and try and overthink this. And I think that's what happened with a lot of Utah. Maybe. They overthought a lot of what they were supposed to do. Like, Ricky Rubio got destroyed in that game because I... Like, there was a point, I pulled this clip and put it on Twitter, but, like, yeah. they were on, like, a secondary break. And right. James Harden's in the middle of the floor, and... Ricky Rubio's just like, okay, I'm supposed to play left hip. I'll play him left hip. It
1: and there's just work there, Ricky. There's
0: absolutely no help at the basket set already because, again, secondary break. Uh, right. You know, I think it was Kenneth Fareed. It might have been Capella or whatever. He had stretched doesn't it out to thing. the three point line. And Rudy was out there just trying to guard and, like, trying to keep up with his man. So. There was just nobody at the basket and he got an easy layup. Like I think that they got in their own heads a little bit in terms of not necessarily knowing what to do defensively. And when that's the case,
1: you're screwed. You're dead. Yeah. And you you're the time. jazz.
0: Like you can't score 122 points and keep up with Houston.
1: No, I will say this. I, I think that's an extremely astute point. Um, but you're removing all of the sort of minutia. Yes. They probably did overthink it. And that led to what we saw in game one. I have a lot of worries about if you this is my this is my gripe with Gobert in general. He's physically unparalleled, but positionally, he's never struck me as a good defender. He just doesn't have to move very much because he can protect the rim at a level. I think he's pretty good.
0: I think he's pretty Uh, good.
1: Man, he's gotten better. Don't get me wrong. But man, I really, we've seen this. How many playoffs in a row now? All you have to do is drag him out of the the restricted area and he looks completely lost. I mean, and in this this case, he sort of exacerbated his own problem.
0: We've seen it two years in a row because they've played Houston both years.
1: But, like, the pick and roll is the definitive play of this era of basketball. But, it's But not it's as very as
0: different having to guard the pick and roll uh, versus Houston, where James can pull up from 30 feet and in and has that ridiculous, like, sidestep three. And he's surrounded by four shooters or three shooters yeah. plus an elite-level roll man in Capella, where not only do you have to play gap defense on Harden and Capella, but you also have to worry about... Uh, the backside and you have to worry about shooters coming off and knocking down threes.
1: Like but like, look, look at the top four teams in the Western conference, right? You have Portland, let's just, I mean, this is not in any sort of normal sure. order, but you have, you have Portland with, with Dame Lillard who listen, he is not James Harden, but his ability to score from anywhere on the court is, is hyper elite.
0: Right. Uh, and they run
1: more pick and roll than anybody.
0: But so in Portland's case, for instance, Dame is typically surrounded by Mo Harkless and Alfred Gaminu. Right, right. And in this case, Ennis Cantor. So the guys on the backside can tag Ennis Cantor as the roller with ease without fear of recourse uh against houston it's a lot harder to tag capella on the backside because james is just going to hit you with that cross-court pass and kill you
1: right but but lillard can still hit you with the cross-court pass i'm not saying it's to the same level of but it's just less
0: efficient because he's passing to harkless or amido right but
1: but what i'm saying is let's look at the four teams or you have portland where they run a lot of high pick and roll and they have dame lillard running it you have golden state who Can run pick and roll with with Curry or Durant. No,
0: I know, I
1: I know. But like again, if you want to, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. You look at Houston. We just talked about that. Even Denver with Jokic and Murray. Like, yes, it's not awesome, but Jokic can pull Gobert out of the paint, and it's a pretty nice one-two combo. Like you look at the four best teams in the Western Conference, and I don't know who Rudy Gobert won't be like where Rudy Gobert fits in the scheme. Like, it, it, it's a real issue here. This is not a, a fault of Rudy Gobert. I don't think it's a fault of the Utah Jazz. This is the era of basketball we're playing in. If you are not a mobile center, you are going to be schemed against time and time again, even if you are considered the best defender in the NBA. That, it, there are levels to this outside of the box score, and Rudy Gobert— just he's not getting it done and he hasn't gotten it done yet. And I don't see a reason to believe that he will start getting it done in terms of his mobility and positioning on the court against lethal pick and rolls, which well, is we, what we, we can even
0: talk about that wins. in regard to the Philadelphia Brooklyn series as well. With Joe absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. There, there were some issues there. And, and I do think that there is something too, like Houston's scheme and just general basketball with the way it's going. It does make it harder for Rudy to this make the, the high level impact. Yeah. This is, that
1: is he does. this is as hard as it gets. I I, I don't I don't right. dispute.
0: Like the but the pro, the other thing is too, so you know, when Rudy and Derek Favors played together in this game, I actually don't think it was that big of a disaster defensively, was it?
1: Didn't strike me as that, but the potential always felt like it was there. I think that was more Houston's doing than Utah's doing, if you will.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe that's true, but like, so
1: the help help side defense for Utah was completely out of whack the entire game because Gobert was on an island and they were basically playing four on five, right? to like me, that, just that's yeah. I think that that can be shored up, but ultimately, it's going to come down to where Rudy Gobert is on the court because that's what James Harden wants to do every single play, and the the Rockets are are rote and ruthless, and they will just go at him every single time down the floor. And, and again, I just don't I don't trust that he's going to put himself in a position to succeed against the master of the dark arts.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, like this is just. Uh... This is why I'm like at a four panic. That's meter. why so I'm like at if four you, too. If you play them straight, how do you, how do you stop them? If you play them, they don't have the personnel to play them straight. But like, if you play them straight, can you play, do you play favors of the five and sit Rudy?
1: I, I would, I would, I would consider it. I, I don't think that you can have both of them out there. I think Ingles is as much as we like Joe Ingles, a liability, um, he,
0: Joe, Str- he, I mean, I'll say this too: like Joe was not great in that game. Ricky no, Rubio I mean, was awful in that game. You're
1: playing Thabo Sav- Sefolosha serious minutes. Uh, you can't play Jay Crowder. You can't play Kyle Korver. Royce O'Neal is is maybe a good option. Like I, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know where you go.
0: Well, I think here. you almost have to play Jay. Like you, you that's really you, yeah, your option. I,
1: you're right. And you know, Jay was only one for nine from the field, so now you're giving up even more on the offensive end as they have all year. Let's also not forget, I mean, I, I thought Houston did a really nice job in checking Donovan Mitchell all game. They were really physical with him, and they basically put him on notice from the time he came across half court and he kind of did what Donovan Mitchell sometimes does and, and was pretty inefficient in in his stuff. But that that's their only way through, right? Like that's the only way that the Jazz can keep up with the Rockets uh, is if Donovan Mitchell basically plays the younger, Spryer version of James Harden, and and he was nowhere near that. in, in Utah, or in, sorry, in Houston, really, I, I thought took him out of his game, forced him to move the ball around. Um, they never really, it never really felt like they had a good pick and roll going with him and Gobert, Rubio was lost. I, I, just don't, I just don't know. I think you have to really go deep into evaluation and, and wonder if what you've done up until this point is in any way viable. For the next three, four, five, six games of this series, because you might have to put Mitchell at point for the entire game, you might have to only play favors and/or at least stagger favors and grow bear. Uh, well, I you don't basically know. Basically,
0: have to, to play, play Ingles like that. You have to, you don't to have, have a it,
1: there's no, Yeah, there's no alternative. Yeah, but like to have like have a competent up.
0: offense positionally, like you have to do it. And, and like, I wonder if the solution is they had success in the second half of the year playing Ingles is like a pseudo point next to Mitchell. So like maybe that's your move. Yeah.
1: Yeah, So you go super double power wing, but then that then comes the Chris Paul conundrum, right? Which is now you have another guy who, if you take away Harden, or if you at least make Harden think three or four times about driving to the lane and running, you know, the side pick and roll, um, they can just do it. The same thing on the other side of the court. I I do agree with your initial assessment on all this, which is if you're going to check Harden and try to force him to his right, you need to do it more or less full court because if you're just trying to do it after the fact or you're just trying to side swipe him before he shoots the help defense is not set up to the point where you're cutting off the far left side he can still pass it to the entire court and so maybe that's where you start which is we're not going to allow him to make a cross court pass in this game and then you force you know then you take away a little bit more and you take away a little bit more but the fact that Cephalosia was having to come in from the wing to help out with with Capella as as Gobert just kind of stood there and waited for something to happen, or worse yet, attacked Harden and, and initiated the pass. Um, I, it's just completely untenable. It will so be he, here's the package. other thing
0: too that's that's worth bringing up. You know, I don't think it's gotten enough coverage that since the All Star break, Houston has the number two defense in the yeah. NBA
1: no yeah yeah and it's only it's going to look really good coming out of this series because it's utah um so uh, they've been good they've been physical uh i I think that they have their rotations down it helps that harden can control the entirety of the pace of play and that paul can also do the same thing uh and in pj tucker we all know what kind of a bowling ball he is i'm i didn't Yes, it's number two. I, I don't know if I put a tremendous amount of stock into that. Uh, I, I still think that they are extremely susceptible in some ways, but not to the jazz. Not yeah. in any way, shape, or form.
0: Jazz. I think their defense actually looks really good right now. I mean, like it's yeah. Utah and stuff, but like even like at the end of the season, like I thought their defense looked really, really good. It's a, they,
1: it's a, plus, the, defense. It's a plus defense. I'm not saying it's a bad defense. Yeah. I'm saying it's a plus defense. I'm just not saying it's it's not an elite defense. Like I, I've seen really, really good defense. Maybe there is no such thing as good defense in the NBA anymore. That's something else we have to consider.
0: Well, you know what? Let's let's talk about good defense. Let's. So, uh, you know, the Jazz are at a four. Like, I, I'm very concerned right now about Utah. Yeah, it's funny. These are the two teams that had these are the two teams that the best net rating in the NBA uh, in the post All Star break portion of the season. Yeah, and it's crazy that we're sitting here and thinking that you know Houston might take this in five because. It, if like if, i just don't know how utah stops them
1: the gap here says it's 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 houston in 4 i mean what what i saw in game right, 1 right but
0: like that's a that's a total blowout you know what i mean like no i this, understand
1: i understand but it was a schematic blowout it wasn't yeah, it was, oh well utah missed a bunch of shots and this it was it was houston got whatever the fuck it wanted Houston controlled every aspect of that game front to center and Utah going into game 2 as i said needs to consider blowing it all up and trying something completely radically different going into game 2 it's kind of ridiculous that the jazz are at a 4 here they should be at a 5 but i'm just giving them a little bit of credit for well here's good, here's the okay, question
0: is their blow up just going back to basics
1: mm, on which side of the court
0: on defense like, hey, we fucked up. We shouldn't have tried this Milwaukee method of trying to stop James Harden. Let's just go back to the basics. Guard normally. Maybe we play lesser Ricky Rubio and try and put Rudy in better positions.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. But at the same time, they, they had to game plan for game one. And I like to think that Quinn Steiner knows how to draw one up. And that's what they came up with. They figured that they had to do the Milwaukee method, even though they can't pull it off that they needed to whatever the hell Gobert did. That it, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you're better off going back to basics, but what happens if the basics don't work? You yeah. just concede the series. So maybe you have to give it another game uh, where you're still on the road, you still have some wiggle room in the sense of, you know it's only two nothing down is not completely insurmountable maybe you have to give it a try here because you were that was your conviction going into this series and you make the adjustments and you see where that stands and then desperation mode can kick in so maybe that's where that four or five difference is to where i don't know if they go straight to basics for game two but i would i would seriously consider changes in the rotation
0: so let's talk about defense you mentioned good defense uh indiana boston was that,
1: that was a
0: good defense? It was. So what? What? It okay. reminded me of a college game. If you put it in like NBA space, basically, mm-hmm. with two really, really well coached, really smart defensive teams with like solid offensive skill. Yep. You know how I like know this because we just saw it in the national title game with oh, Texas Tech and Virginia. Like that game was. A forty-five minute game that was eighty-five to seventy-eight or something like that, and yep. this game was eighty-four seventy-four in forty-eight minutes, and it was two really well-coached teams. You know, it felt like they missed some shots here and there, but right—that's th- th- just the vibe that it had. It had the vibe of a really high-level college game.
1: W- what's your panic level here for for the Indiana Pacers?
0: Honestly, too. Like, I, I yeah. think that I think they're like the worst team in the mm-hmm. series. Like I think that Boston is better than they are. And now Boston only has to win three of six games to win the series. But I, I didn't see anything there that like, you know, terrifies me more if I'm Indiana. Like if, if I was going into that series, I'd have been at like a two. And like, I, I don't think that game changed it for me. It,
1: it did tick up one notch for me. I agree with you going into the series that it was probably a two. They're at a three now just because you wasted what was a, pretty 84 point an 84 point output by the celtics you should be able to take advantage of that and the fact that the the pacers offense wasn't able to capitalize was i think adding a level of concern uh separation in this game for me was the the celtics have the best player and i thought kyrie was really awesome in the second yeah. half and there there it is i mean there's there's your 10 points right there well they, they have uh, the
0: two best players They have a cut.
1: We could keep going. I mean, it doesn't, uh, they are certainly more talented. Uh, but I, I, the two things that stood out to me from this one, one, uh, my, my initial thought that the Pacers physicality and just competence on defense would give Boston trouble and that they would not necessarily respond to the challenge. I think stood, I, I think stood up though. The second half brings me some concern in that regard, The second thing, you know, Bogdanovich, I think he's going to have a couple of monster games in this series, based on what Boston was thrown at him. Not having Marcus Smart for Boston, I think, really creates a problem. And I I think if Indiana wants to target that, uh, it could be, it could be a big game for. For for the Bogman. So I, I still I, I still feel like this one's going seven and, and is, I still that,
0: is that an actual nickname for Bogdanovich? The Bog no, I just made Man? that I just
1: made I just made that shit up right Sounds now. Like, Sounds like a bad. monster that comes out of a swamp. Yeah. <laughs> well, game one was. Um It's really so... true. Like, I still think it's I, – I picked the Pacers in, in seven in my absolute last ditch. Here's the final second before the first tip-off of the playoff game. What What's going on in my heart of hearts? Like I, I really like their defense. I don't think that the Celtics um, – all of those fissures that we saw throughout the season, I think that they turn into full-blown cracks underneath the pressure of Indiana. But um, they, they need to – I mean, they need to take game two. Obviously, but I mean, it, that's, that's a really big deal. And if Boston pretty much does their second half from game one for the entirety of game two, it, it could be more or less a wrap on the series.
0: So I think that what this game was for Indiana above all was just kind of what we were all a little bit worried about with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have Victor Oladipo. They don't have their all NBA player. Right. Other teams in the playoffs will have an all NBA player, Kyrie yeah. Irving in this game was really, really good. He dropped 20 points. Uh, he had seven assists. He, he was just the guy who created all of the offense all over the court for Boston. And the other guy that was just monstrous, I thought was Al Horford, like Al Horford, yeah, he was awesome. uh, only ended up with like 10 points and 11 rebounds and five assists which like good game on the surface yeah but he was a monster on defense too like he was all over the place he was uh he initiated a ton of their actions he was Mm -hmm. also terrific in space against some of indiana's perimeter players he rebounded at a high level against a team that uh, obviously plays uh tough and physically so I was just very, very impressed with Al Horford's game. I thought that it was just a very mature game, and I don't think it's an accident that when Al Horford was on the floor for Boston, they had a 103 offensive rating and a 71 defensive rating.
1: Yeah, plus in twenty a 10 in a ten-point
0: g- game. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. He was plus twenty in the game. Kyrie was plus nineteen. Marcus Morris plus fifteen. I, I did think that he provided a nice element of spacing there. And then was on good. The, yeah, and on he the had flip a good side, Marcus game. And on the flip side, you have Wesley Matthews at minus sixteen and Miles Turner at minus fourteen. I mean, there's your there's your ball game right there. Um, the Pacers are going to need to make hay with their second unit. I, I didn't feel like they really made enough of a dent there, and that's the, that's the trade off again. You say yes, Boston has you know the better top end players. Of course, they have Kyrie Irving and and Jason Tamey and Al Horford. They have really good players. The Pacers have good players, no doubt, but they're going to have to win with depth. And they didn't do that in game one. And it kind of showed like Boston has some pretty darn good depth too. And that just makes it a really tough series. Uh, I'm interested to see going back to sort of the point you were making with the jazz. I I thought the Pacers switched a lot in this game, which is pretty unusual for them. I'm interested to see if they go back to just straight up uh, for game two and beyond, because that, I I don't know if it's something they need to do, but certainly it's something that that's in perhaps in the cards after game one I, I don't know i'm interested to see what they do schematically on the defensive end after kind of a bold play to switch it up in in game one
0: yeah i'll be interested too to see what they do um but again like for me the panic levels just aren't super high here right now yeah. like
1: it's 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 a three just because yes the you know the 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 celtics kind of bounce back from a bit of adversity, and they showed that they're just as deep as the Pacers. So I, I don't feel as good about the Pacers as I did going into the series, even though I would have easily conceded game one uh, from that position of optimism. It was just kind of how it went down that, that didn't make me feel all that great. But, you know, Indiana wins game two, we're totally on, and it, it only takes, you know, if, if you keep if you keep hitting the hammer on the concrete, it, it might crumble.
0: The weirdest thing for me in the in this game was that Boston got a lot of hay on the break. Like I think they had twenty four fast break points in this game, uh, to only fourteen for Indiana. Uh, I would like I-, I was surprised to see those numbers. Uh, and like thinking about it now, I guess that I shouldn't be because it did no. seem like Boston actually did get quite a bit of run out on the break and if they can do that uh this is going to be a pretty easy series for them right but i don't think they'll do that i think indiana is going to adjust and be fine
1: i i would i would venture to say so um but that's actually maybe that's a reason to be optimistic about the pacers not so much the the abstract of oh well they're going to adjust and be fine but the fact that the celtics did get out on the run a lot and that's an area where they would absolutely they should dominate the pacers and yet they only won by 10 at home um and, and it, it and that felt correct. So and they were it, down
0: seven at halftime. Like other than like they went on that huge like what was it? It was probably like a twenty four to five run or twenty four to three run or something like that yeah, in the third quarter. Yeah, um. Yeah. You know, without that, that, this was basically a you know, if not an Indiana game, this was a pretty tight game.
1: I feel I feel good about the Bogman coming through in game two and beyond. I do think that the matchup is there for him. Uh, Miles Turner has to up his game, though. If that second part doesn't happen, the 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 Celtics just
0: have too much firepower. Gotta stop calling him the Bog Man. I feel like
1: no. I am leaning into it now just to <laughs> piss you off. Uh,
0: I don't know where do you want to go next. I, I would say maybe
1: Raptors, baby. Game you one. Go to the
0: Raptors, okay. So Panic that, level. I will say this: let's save the Sixers and the uh, That's, oh, you, you, Sixers and the Clippers and... for last okay. because. There are games tonight, and it's just not like going to have a ton of value, right? Um, true, true. This is but, a man know, who's
1: thinking on the fly.
0: Let's talk about Toronto.
1: Let's talk about Toronto.
0: So, God Toronto, damn. I have it at a Set one. Set your watch f- to it. I have a one point five.
1: I have them at a two because I don't believe in half points because I'm not a coward, as I mentioned on our last uh, our last podcast. But I'll accept uh, that two only because that just had there were the circumstances of a game one for the Raptors overwhelmed what I thought was a fairly solid performance the difference between this team and years past is so evident when you see Pascal Siakam playing his ass off and then Kyrie or I'm sorry not Kyrie for Kawhi Leonard just being insane and you watch those two guys play and you go the raptors are going to be fine. Kyle Lowry's actually going to score points in the next game. He wasn't as bad as maybe some people want to lend it to believe, but he can't go for a goose egg in game 1 and not get not get yeah, these jokes.
0: He was uh, he he was I did not think he was great. Like look, he helped No, no, them. no, he
1: was he was legit bad. Yeah. No, like there is a but there are thresholds of bad. Like he wasn't a complete and utter liability uh to the sense where it was yeah, like No, like they, they had
0: to keep playing him. Like of it course, was not of a circumstance where like yeah, Van Vliet Fred, was terrible. Yeah, it's not it was not a circumstance where it was like Fred Van Vliet is like way out playing him. We need to keep Fred on the floor and take Kyle out. Like Fred Fred I didn't think Fred was terrible. He wasn't great, but like at the yeah. same token, they were better when Kyle was on the floor. Like no questions right. asked.
1: Right. And and again, he will score. He only shot seven times. Like there is a certain level of it, most six of those being three pointers. Like he doesn't need to shoot that much to be fair, but he's going to knock down one of them or two of them. I don't expect him to have a monster game, but he was the only starter for uh, Toronto who had a positive plus minus. In fact, he had 11 and that was just, that's crazy. I mean, it was far and away the best plus minus. So uh, Van Vliet was terrible. I you know Gasol looked a little bit lost at times, though. He had an, a fairly decent stat line, Uh, But Kawhi, Pascal Siakam, Danny Green, I mean, that's a really competent lineup. And Orlando gave them their absolute best shot. They knocked down a bunch of shots that were, let's just say, more or less one-offs. Um, they were really awesome in the clutch. And, and when you get Fournier and, and Augustine playing the way that they played, like you have to take advantage of that opportunity. And Orlando did. It was sort of a confluence of, of weird events coming together. Uh, and I, I, you know, Michael Carter-Williams is not going to be a positive playoff player in any other game this postseason. Just mark that down. Feel free to come at me if I'm wrong. Like Michael Carter Williams looked really good in Game One. I feel comfortable that the you know Raptors are going to be able to to take care of this series. In in I, I pick six games. I, I'll hold on six games uh, only because of the matchup. There's some weird funky matchups that that Orlando can throw at Toronto. They got rid of their sort of boogeyman game. They probably lose one in Orlando, but Toronto's just so much better than than this Magic team. You you can't overreact to this one game.
0: Can can we talk about the wildest of all of this? The DJ Augustine game.
1: DJ Augustine is like not a terrible player. You just don't view him as... Where would you rank DJ Augustine in the overall pantheon of point guards? He's in the 20s, right?
0: Yeah, like mid-20s. Is he in the 30s? Something like that. Would you rather have Terry Rozier or DJ Augustine? Like probably DJ, especially after this year. Like maybe. Terry knows? was pretty bad this year, but right. you know, last so you just year don't... if you would ask this question, it would have been Terry like no question. So like that, that's kind of where you're at. Like there are teams with backup point guards better than DJ.
1: No question. And so he had a great game and um, listen, if, if he wants to shoot 70% from the floor and four or five from three, every game in this series, I still think that the Raptors win in six. Uh, DJ
0: Augustine is 32 years old, maybe 31, 32. Yeah. Uh, he started 28 games from 2012 to 2016 and here he was the hero of a playoff game in the year of our lord 2019
1: <laughs> you mean the the year of dj augustine um Terrence Ross played really well in this game too. He was a plus thirteen, even though he only went two from eleven from the floor. Something something clicked there with Terrence Ross in the lineup. Like, we're, did, we're, did not
0: think Terrence played particularly well. I will say. Yeah, was, I know that they went on a run when he was on the they floor. They went on a I, run
1: when he was on the floor, and it felt yeah. like he was part of it. Like, you know, didn't Jonathan Isaac hit a big shot in this game? Like, what what are we doing here?
0: Yeah, Isaac was weird. I thought Isaac played better than what the it was like this entire game was weird because this entire game was weird because it's toronto in game one like what what do you expect you
1: don't expect competence and normalcy like the best team doesn't win in a toronto game one circumstance this is what the raptors do it is built into their dna and it's over now and now they have to win four out of the next six games which i feel very comfortable if they will do
0: Yeah, I agree. Like, I'm still not super worried about them, like I said, Um, like a one and a half. Uh, Pascal Siakam, though, we should talk about him. What a dude. He is a monster. Um, He is just a total monster. He went 12 of 24 from the field, uh, nine rebounds, four assists, only one turnover, two blocks of steal. He had 24 points. Um, just, and he's,
1: he's the kind of guy that Orlando should be able to at least slow down a little bit. And I guess maybe that was their version of slowing him down.
0: Yeah. Like it, it took him 24 shots, to gets to 24 points. Like I right. know he shot 50% from the field, but like, that's, it wasn't hyper efficient output. Yeah. Um, didn't make
1: a three. Huh? Right.
0: Didn't make any of his four threes. Didn't get to the foul line, which is a little bit weird. Super rude. Um, but, Gawaii, but that's what we're talking though. about. That's like, the
1: difference, right? Like, like Pascal Siakam. Siakam.
0: Siakam and Leonard is just a monster combination for them. Like they they're, they can get wherever they want athletically.
1: They're going to drop more. I mean they they dropped forty nine points in this game. Like lock that in going forward, or it maybe created you know the, these amount of points. Like Danny Green is going to have another good game. Like Danny Green is too good of a player to not be an impact Probably, player yeah. on every single <laughs> on every single playoff game he's in. Like I don't think Van Fleet is going to play this poorly. Even though you know he had 14 points on 509 shooting, like he was just completely lost out there on a lot of defensive possessions. Like I don't think he's going to play that poorly uh, in in game two. Uh, you know, Serge Ibaka was nah, it's pretty bad actually. You know, Marcus saw looked like maybe that moment was a little much. Uh, it, it just it it was a bad confluence of a lot of weird things happening. And Orlando put together their best shot and they won by three because. Toronto had to do what Toronto does. Like, I, you know, I can only repeat myself so much here. Like well,
0: here would, here would be the case on. Did Orlando give them their best shot? Nikola Vucevic was three for 14 and had like 11 and eight,
1: but good down the stretch.
0: Um, but was, yeah, he's solid down the stretch. Very good point. Um, Aaron Gordon went three of 10 from the field. Like what do we expect six, from Aaron Gordon there? They got six of 24 from the guys who are, in my opinion, their two best players. Yeah. That's probably not going to happen all that often. Like we, okay. we can reasonably say that now um, th- there is a chance like, Hey, they're going to have one of Siakam or Kawhi on Aaron Gordon, the whole series. So like Aaron might knock it off in this series. He might
1: just struggle. That's, that was, that's, that's my general assessment. Like I don't think Aaron yeah. Gordon's going to have a very good series
0: and you're not going to get nine of 13 for 25 points from DJ Augustine and six assists like every game this is this is the
1: magic's this is the magic's best shot it might not have come in the most traditional of manners but like they're a 105 to maybe 110 on a good night team and the raptors can drop 125 on this orlando team if they want to
0: yeah like here's the thing like i I thought orlando just played super hard they played very competent defensively Mm -hmm. um you know you look at i think they got back uh on defense uh, in a very very I guess strong clip more than anything. Like it was just, it, it was impressive the way they're a they well coached team. They're a well coached team. Like Steve Clifford has them playing their absolute ass off right now. And they'll get and they'll get another game from it. I think they or, will too. Um, if you made can't. me bet, I would say that they might. They probably do get one more game.
1: How many? How many players does Toronto have that are better than Vukovich, who's Orlando's best player?
0: Three, I would say. I'd probably rather have Nikola than Mark Gasol at this stage.
1: Okay. It so might I would be. say it's three or four.
0: Yeah. I would say Pascal and Kawhi for sure. I mean, like honestly, question. would you rather you have, have Vuc- Danny green? No, you probably don't want to have Danny green
1: than Vucevic.
0: Um, but like,
1: that, I mean, there, I would, but that's, that's cause I don't, you know, you, you know me
0: there, there is a real question though. Like, is Nikola a playoff player or not? Um, We'll see. Yeah, we have one one game of example. Yeah, we have one game of sample here. So we'll find out. Um,
1: We certainly know that Kyle Lowry is
0: not. (laughs) Well, then the next guy that we should talk about now, like, is this guy a playoff player, is another type of Nikola Vucevic and Nikola Jokic, right? Like, we we talk about the Nuggets and San Antonio. So I I have the Nuggets at a three in terms of panic level. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle on it because... Uh, one of the big advantages that the Nuggets had going into the series was home court advantage, and now they no longer have home court advantage. Right. Um, having said that, though, the reason – really I should have like a two and a half if I was Denver. Oh. The, the reason I'm like not as worried about this because I think that they just got like aberrantly piss poor play out of their bench. Okay. like they're, so You their go bench,
1: through Mon- Monty Morris, one of six. Mason Plumley, yeah. two of five. Ma- Mason was Craig. awful
0: in this game. Mason, like Mason was atrocious. Like they couldn't guard a soul when Mason Plumlee was on the floor in this game.
1: It's true. I, I am I am deeply concerned at how ineffective Paul Millsap seemed to be in this game, and the backcourt combination of Harris and Murray not exactly they were they were both fine. I mean, Murray in particular is is of concern as he has been for a while now um, in the fact that he'll just put up a bunch of shots that are against the flow and have very little chance of going in. He went 0 for 6 from 3. Um, His confidence sometimes laps his ability. And in a big moment, and and this was my concern coming into the series, in big moments, would that be the case or would he play within himself and allow his talented teammates to help him out? And he did not rise to the occasion in game one at all.
0: Well, here's the thing. He got outplayed by Derek White. In this game.
1: No, no, no Straight question. Up. At all. Like
0: Jamal Murray no got question. outplayed by Derek white. Derek white is an MF on defense. That dude is a motherfucker. He is no a beast. He will just make your life miserable. And he made Jamal Murray's life. Absolutely miserable. In and he
1: also game. dropped 16 on seven of 10 shooting on him.
0: Right. And he had five assists. Uh, the, the, the three rebounds. Like he was, a he had four bleeding. turnovers to be fair. Sure. Like he wasn't phenomenal in this game, but he was good in this game. Uh, Whereas you know Jamal struggled,
1: but you know who wasn't good for for San Antonio, either Lamarcus Aldridge or Demar Derozan.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Neither of them
1: were good, and they still won. Um, <laughs> LaMar- Denver,
0: Lamarcus was weird in this game. I thought, like, I, mean, I don't know LaMarcus that I would Aldridge, go as far as. I, I yeah. didn't
1: think I, I didn't find him to be an impact player in the contest. Uh, he, he felt like somewhat of a one-off. Credit to Demar. For getting 12 rebounds and six assists uh and this was something that that we mentioned kind of previewing the series which is I, I do think san antonio likes having the ball in Demar's hands sort of in that high post because he can facilitate with a lot of passing if you have to collapse on him because he has that mid-range game but he was six of 17 i mean you shoot 35 percent, all of them more or less from the mid-range it, it does not force a defense into tricky situations there so um if DeMar has a big game i'm having a hard time seeing how denver counteracts it because they showed a lot of what we've seen from them over the last few weeks again in game one you know that pop has the best game plan out there you know that san antonio is going to stay cool calm and collected i didn't see denver maintain their their stride and, and it, it looked like they were shooting at a, a, a hoop that was half the size. A lot of the time, they got open looks. They got unopen look. I don't. Was it was to tie the game or win the game at the last second, and it was a really bad shot. Uh, so, I, I'm concerned about Denver mentally, and, and I'm con- concerned schematically here, um, which was a lot of the concerns that we had going into this this series. They bore out in a, a fairly straightforward manner in Game One.
0: So. The reason I say that I was not terribly disappointed with Lamarcus in this game is that I thought he was actually pretty good on defense. I think yeah, that a lot of the so reason well. that like Nikola Jokic struggled scoring the basketball, Jokic was fine in this. Like, I wouldn't say he was awesome in this game. He did have a triple double. He had ten points, fourteen assists, right. and fourteen rebounds. I want to say but it, it,
1: it, it didn't come across as like a whole Jokic game, though.
0: Yeah, like it wasn't this ridiculous remarkable game. Um I, I thought Aldridge did a pretty good job on Millsap and I thought he did a pretty good job when he was forced to guard Jokic. Uh Yeah. Whenever it's you have load. a, guy, a load. Yeah, whenever you have a guy who can do both of those things and guard both of those very markedly different players, it, it really helps you uh, to yeah. a substantial extent. So I I just really liked what I saw out of San Antonio in this game. Like their game plan And yet you're and yet you're not panicking for the Nuggets at all. <laughs> I'm not, if only because I think they are much more talented.
1: I agree with that, but this team has a way of getting in, or has the ability to get in the way of its own talent. And it's shown that a lot as of late. And until I see that mold broken, I'm just not going to presume the best for these Denver Nuggets. Mike Malone's going to have to have one hell of a game two plan. I'm really interested. I don't think they need to change up a bunch, but there are little tweaks all around the court that they can make to really highlight the talent. I mean, that means less Jamal Murray shots. I think Paul Millsap needs to be more involved in the offense. Uh, Using what they can do with Jokic on the defensive end. Um, Multiple ball handlers. I don't know what you do with the bench. Maybe you move Barton to the bench and and play Craig some more with the first unit. Uh, There's a lot of little things that they can do that can make this that can maybe that's the wrinkle that gets this team over the hump but right now they seem just kind of in a slog and san antonio is going to take advantage of that every single game because i don't think they played anywhere close to their best in game one and they still came out as the
0: victors so it was weird so they got like very very positive performances from a lot of bench guys right like rudy gay had 14 points in 26 minutes he was six rebounds you know he, he was really really good yeah he ate. um bellinelli you know had eight points uh Bertons you know,
1: hit that massive three
0: right like Bertons hit the huge three their bench played really really well now they do a good job of staggering their minutes and they do a good job of making sure that uh there's always a guy that can create offense on the floor mm-hmm. but i think you're right they just didn't get the performances from DeRozan and Aldridge that you expect
1: and what happens there okay let's even say that you know Rudy Gay shoots 50 percent from the floor so he instead of being a plus 10 and 14 points he's he's a plus five and 10 points um you know let's say you know but Marco Bellinelli knocks down one more three-pointer and it changes the game you know like there's there's not a big margin here um to see San Antonio being able to with, with the defense that they play, I, I can see them dropping 110 on Denver. And right now, Denver can't seem to get out of its own way and put up the offensive performance that it needs to. And against San Antonio, I don't know why you would bet on it.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I will say, like, I am not, I'm just not that worried. Maybe I'm I should the horns.
1: Be. I'm firing the horns. I'm at, a, I'm at a four.
0: Yeah, this is the one where we're going to differ most. That's okay. This is definitely the one where we're going to differ most. Um, we're going to
1: find out because if Denver loses Game Two at home, kaput. It's done. It might take a while, but this is not—you know—this is not the NHL playoffs. Like you lose your first two games at home, you've already lost home court advantage. Now you're down two nothing to the San Antonio Spurs. It might take six games. It might take even seven. But man, like you're just—you're having to dig yourself out of a hole. I just I just don't see this team having the the mental ability to do it. Maybe maybe that's the kind of challenge that they need to just break through and play loose and and make things happen. Maybe that's what they need, but damn What's I, it- I- that's a two ridiculous things. thing to attest.
0: two things I'll say here. Like I've, I've kind of said like DeMar DeRozan, like didn't play well. And like all this stuff, he just didn't shoot well more than anything. Right. No, like, no, no. He I actually was, thought he was a very competent player on the court. Pretty yeah, well. No, he was good. Yeah.
1: He had 12 rebounds and, and six assists. Like he was good. He was good. He just didn't knock down his shots. And there was a little bit of tentativeness. I felt, um, as he attacked, uh, in, in a couple of spots. And, and maybe that's just because the early shots didn't fall. And then he kind of got in his head a little bit. And, um, that certainly happened before. This is why Toronto has their game one woes. Uh, and maybe they carry, you know, maybe DeMar DeRozan was a big part of that. Uh, not the entire part of it, clearly, but some of it. But, man, I mean, he's probably good to knock down. If he's going to get 17, 18, 19, 20 shots a game, he, he's going to knock down 45% of those shots, 50% of those shots. Uh, especially with, with Jokic out there in the middle of the court being pretty much wide open every every single possession. Uh, It's just, it's a really dangerous schematic game that Denver is playing. And again, they they won it in theory, where DeRozan wasn't on his A game, wasn't knocking down those shots. He distributed it well, but he wasn't knocking them down. Aldridge wasn't picking up the slack in that regard. And yet Denver still lost. Like, that's really concerning, man.
0: Yeah, uh, it's concerning. I will say this. I would expect Nikola Jokic to come off a bit more aggressive in game two good point uh, i agree with that i, I think that. he's, he's gonna, gonna get more
1: re- than nine shots in game two
0: yeah i think he like might double that in games oh yeah two, or like oh, maybe yeah. up to like 16 or something and i that's think gonna that's require, gonna help denver a lot
1: that's gonna require jamal murray to not take as many shots and it doesn't yeah. seem to me as if jamal murray is comfortable with that arrangement
0: i think he is i think that if he gets like i think if you take seven seven shots from jamal you take uh you know two shots will, from will, barton.
1: Need, will barton doesn't need to take 15 a game
0: right you know that's still a bunch for each of those guys in terms of shots like th- they'll be fine i think this is, this is where malone comes in i agree well, i mean this, 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 this is where Jokic comes in more than anything i think i i don't think this is malone i i think that nikola needs to say hey dude this is my team i am the dude here i am you know, the guy who's probably going to finish in the top five of the MVP race. I need to take these shots. Like I need to be aggressive because there were times where he just passed up open looks, especially yeah. from three when he was behind the, behind the arc. And I know he went over three from three, but I think we all feel pretty good about Jokic taking those shots.
1: Yeah. Especially against the San Antonio defense. And if you have Aldridge out there, you want him on the perimeter and you need to, you need to force that action. I agree with you. That's a very good point. That will be the most interesting thing to watch in game two.
0: Okay, so let's let's talk about the Thunder here. Oh boy. Uh give me a panic meter. I'm at a two. I agree. I'm also at a two. The yeah. reason that I am at a two is that I think they outplayed Portland for about thirty minutes in that game. Agreed. The problem was that they just came out super flat. Like they were lazy, I thought, off ball defense. Like that that is a team that has to win games defensively
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they just did not bring it on the defensive end in the first really 18 minutes of that game. After that, they figured it out the last 30 minutes. They were monsters on defense, but you got to bring the whole game. You you can't do that in the playoffs.
1: There are some concerns though. And the concerns are Dame had showed the ability again to just completely control a game. And uh, there was a fun, you know, Twitter conversation, on the TL uh, regarding who's the better point guard, Westbrook or Lillard. And of course it was very contentious, but uh, you watch that game, you think about it, you know, in any sort of a macro sense. And, and the answer is obvious. It's, yeah, it's game.
0: I, I would rather have Lillard than Westbrook. Yeah. And by the way, like Russ had 24, 10 and 10 only yeah. took 17 shots uh, and, and only had four turnovers. Like this was a I'm great game in. for Russ.
1: You wasted a great game from Russ. Um, you showed, I mean, listen, you wasted a good game from New Orleans, Noel. Uh, Steven Adams looked.
0: Uh, I, I'll say this, like New Orleans has been pretty good this year. I don't know if you wasted no, no, a no. good game there. No, no, no.
1: But I'm just saying you, you got contributions off the bench with him and Morris and Felton. They like they look solid. And that's not something that has been that, that you can count on every game. I mean, this is a team that plays its starters a lot. But meanwhile, Here, you see. Here's
0: here's the other issue there too. Um, all of the positive contributions of yeah. the three bench guys you just mentioned were wiped mm-hmm. out by Dennis Schroeder. Yeah.
1: Right. Like this is this is Oklahoma City in a nutshell, right? There's a reason that they were running for the eighth seed. You look at some areas and you go, man, the Thunder should be so much better. And then you look at Terrence Ferguson and Dennis Schroeder and uh, the fact that they can only go nine guys deep. And really, they should be going only about seven or eight. Uh, you look at all that and you go, man, OK, maybe maybe it makes sense. I, I do think Paul George will have a better game, too. Uh, I didn't see any particular reason as to why he shot 33 uh, percent. It is still flabbergasting to me how many three-pointers he takes per game, but alas, that's three-point variance for you. He we went four from 15 from beyond the arc, and uh, he was a net-zero player. I, I just don't think that that's going to carry over. I think that he's going to knock down a couple more of those threes. I think that he will score more points uh, than 26. Uh, Portland can't really match up with them, and I don't think that Ennis Cantor is going to do what he did Game one, where he scores 20 points on eight of 15 in 34 minutes and is a plus 15 player to lead Portland. Like There are plenty of reasons to feel like Oklahoma City is A-OK. At the same time, man, again, you you wasted a a really clean Westbrook game, and he has shown more so than the ability to win a game for your team, he's shown the ability to sort of lose it for you. And he didn't do anything to lose the game for the Thunder in game one, and yet you still lost.
0: What did you think of CJ McCollum? in this game because obviously his injury is maybe the most critical course part of this series like it, it's up there certainly in terms of just he a needs beat. like he needs to have a good series i think to win this for them to win and uh, obviously is the knee injury uh, he goes uh, i want to say nine of 24 from the nine field of Twenty-four,
1: you, three of seven from beyond the arc yeah
0: like a I thought little too much bit, of
1: the offense ran through him, but you don't have an alternative. Do you,
0: you don't have an alternative first and foremost, like you can play Evan Turner, but Evan's just not going to bring you what you need in the playoffs. Um, you can play Rodney hood. So CJ made shots early. I, I want to say he made maybe his first three threes, mm-hmm. uh, And then he really struggled. Like he went six of 17 from inside the two point or inside the three point arc. That was a problem. Like, I I just don't think he has the burst that he typically does right now. No. And
1: I I was going to say, he doesn't have the lift. Um, The fact that we're, we're both saying that something's, something's bug bum with those legs. Obviously there is, but uh, this is a guy who's, who's a rhythm shooter, a rhythm player. And if you don't have your legs under you a hundred percent, it's really hard to get into rhythm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No question. So, uh that's why i'm like not as worried about this both teams, for oklahoma city let's like, just
1: call it what it was both teams played like shit like that was not good basketball <sighs>
0: so, like i don't even know if portland played like shit like they got they got bad offensive performances from mo harkless and alfarugamino but they were really good defensively i thought on paul george
1: yeah i didn't i didn't see the same thing in that regard i, I thought that i thought that george wasn't aggressive enough even though he put up a bunch of shots like it, it felt like he wasn't taking what was being given and that he just kind of wanted to get to a spot and put up a shot from that spot and he was more or less able to do that oftentimes so i, I do think paul george is going to have much better games now that said maybe he can't maybe that shoulder injury that he's been carrying around for the last few weeks it is to the point where he is gonna just perform like this every game down the stretch and that you're just you're hoping that you can get slightly above average from beyond the arc maybe that's maybe that's just as uh critical cj mccollum's knee injury but ultimately i think oklahoma city has more talent as ridiculous as this sounds without Nurkic in the lineup i think oklahoma city has more talent than than portland and i agree you know dame i guess dame has another level he can get to but man i mean you're really asking a lot from one guy Night in, night out. Whereas, you know, Oklahoma City, at least they can kind of spread it around a little bit.
0: Yeah, I, I just keep coming back to the fact that I think Oklahoma City outplayed this team for the last realistically thirty minutes of this game.
1: I mean, what's yeah, what's what's Portland's other kind of smoke here? I don't, I don't really see one. I mean, I don't, I don't see some adjustment that they can make. I see a lot of regression candidates.
0: <laughs> you know what? Like, I don't know that I see like. A lot of crazy aberrant performances on I Portland mean, side, Ennis like Ennis Canter, eighteen rebounds. Ca- like the Ennis Canter game is the one, right? Like right. Ennis Cantor going for twenty and eighteen. That's the one that I look at, and I'm like, okay, you think he Stephen probably Adams is gonna won't let that, do that shit happen again. twice. Yeah, like he probably won't do that again. Having huh. said that, Steven Adams, like, not the world's best defensive rebounder as the center either.
1: Very true. Well,
0: so yeah. <laughs>
1: I don't know. What are you going at? What do you, is that, is that an eye thing? Or are you going off the stats there?
0: It's both. Uh, he's, yeah. he's pretty good at boxing out. I th- like, I think, I think he's the an excellent part.
1: boxer outer,
0: but I don't know. Yeah. Generally I do not see. He's Stephen a, he's Adams. more of a,
1: he's more of a tippet to Russ and get down the, get down the court kind of guy.
0: Well, and here's the other thing about Steven too. Uh, Steven just like powered through Ennis a lot. Oh, in this oh game. yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And as this series goes on, the refs are going to call less and less. I mean, that's just how playoff basketball works. You establish a baseline, and you can get more and more physical from there. Uh, that is not going to lend itself well for one Ennis Cantor.
0: Yeah. But, like, Steven Adams, probably not going to go 8 of 14 from the field again this series. Like, I don't know. Ennis is a
1: really shitty defender.
0: Yeah, that's true. He might. Um, yeah, I still feel okay. Like, I still would pick Oklahoma City in six or seven. To win yeah, the series. I, um,
1: I, I think there's going to be a lot of games that look like this, where both teams are sort of fighting themselves as well as their opponent.
0: Do Do you think this is like a stock up, stock down situation for Portland? Like, or are you just like kind of holding?
1: I'd probably sell some Blazers stock after this game, but I'd also sell Thunder stock after this game. I mean, yeah, uh, that, that's that's kind of why I said both teams played like shit. I don't want to read too far into it. Like, neither of these. Te- this is. We were joking in the Warriors media room, Anthony Slater. We were talking about, oh, man, looks like, you know, Oklahoma. We're going to go to Oklahoma City or, you know, Denver. He goes, well, we could easily be in San Antonio for the Western Conference Finals with the yeah. Warriors. I mean, that's yeah. if they get there, obviously. But like, man, Jesus Christ, the bottom half of that bracket.
0: Yeah, it's not great. It's uh, not great. The best place for you to go and sell that... Uh... Oh, that stock in right Portland or in Oklahoma City is Robinhood. Robinhood so is an fair. investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free, while other brokerage is charge uh, up to $10 for every trade. Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits There is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as the 100 most popular stocks. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Game Theory... A free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at GameTheory.Robinhood.com. That's Game Theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y. .robinhood.com. robinhood. com. All right, I feel good now that I've gotten that transition. That was out of impressive. The
1: it was just goddamn you. Walk so right the last,
0: the last three series here, um, Pistons and Bucks. We'll we'll go with here. Uh, yeah.
1: I mean, we don't really need to talk about Pistons and Bucks. This,
0: this shit's yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I don't know that we need to like, go. Sorry. Sorry.
1: Pistons fans. We're just, and sorry, Bucks fans. We're just not talking about it. There's no Blake Griffin and the Bucks led by as many as 43 points in this game. I mean, it's, it's done. It's over. It's kaput. Uh, they just have to stay healthy now
0: yeah there there was never a point in this game where i felt like it was competitive <laughs> like we're, i feel bad we're, saying we're, that we're, but no
1: like why would you feel bad in saying that they led by as many as 43 points <laughs> like yeah like dude yeah, like not great. george hill world class shitty playoff performer george hill 6 of 11 like, like what are we what are we doing here like the bucks had like eight dudes out there that were better than you know players than almost anybody i mean bruce brown is is starting a playoff game we got reggie jackson out there doing reggie jackson stuff wayne ellington two for ten from the floor like andre drummond uh minus 45 like give me a freaking break it's done so that's that uh sorry sorry pistons
0: when sterling brown was on the floor for the 24 minutes and 40 seconds that he was mm-hmm. the bucks had a 70 point net rating plus 38 in the game when Andre Drummond was on the floor for the Pistons in 26 minutes and 16 seconds the Pistons had a negative 81.4 net rating yep uh Giannis Antetokounmpo did not play half of this game
1: no he didn't he played 23 minutes was a plus 30 and scored 24 points and almost dunked from the free throw line
0: yes uh, and he I'm had seventeen sorry, rebounds, complete Detroit. and utter ponage. Yeah, I mean, like without Blake, this is this is Dunzo. There is just not really it a...
1: was. It was. Let's be honest, this was donezo before Blake, but Blake would have at least yeah. made it interesting for Detroit in you know a game after the three zero lead for the Bucks, right? Like Blake goes off for forty seven and you know steals one for the Pistons before so they so go to that, Cancun. With that
0: being said, like you could say that the panic level here is zero, just because okay. it's a five. I mean, it should be There's, a five
1: because I think that.
0: Yeah. Well, and we'll
1: get. Into, well, it's it's we'll either get into a zero or a five,
0: later. depending on like what your expectations were for this series.
1: Right, but uh, they, when you have Blake, you know, you go in there, you're trying to ex- at least extract something from the Bucks, maybe make it interesting, right? And then you get no Blake and a complete and utter smackdown to where the Bucks could have won this game by sixty if they want to. If they wanted to make a statement, which I have no yeah. idea why they would. Um, you know, and you play Giannis 40 minutes, Jesus Christ, what happens? So uh, for anyone who held out any notion of hope for the Detroit Pistons that they can steal a game or two, uh, they they need to be at a five because it is, again, completely and utterly over. Now, for all of us who didn't expect much from the Pistons or anything from the Pistons, nothing has changed. But uh, that last glimmer of hope has been extinguished right before our eyes.
0: So sort of in the same way that Uh, the Pistons could be at zero or five, depending on your perspective. We could say the same about the Clippers. Right. Um, I mean, I'll just give you the floor. You were at this game. Yeah. I mean, Stephen Curry's performance was just the most insane playoff performance I've seen in a while. Like
1: really that, that struck you as an insane playoff performance. It was really good. Don't get me wrong, but like
0: 15 rebounds for Steph.
1: Yeah. Listen, this is, we, we take Steph for granted. Um, Across the board, everyone does, including, you know, the ultimate stands. This stuff's incredible. I thought the Warriors played like shit in this game, all things considered. They had 21 turnovers. Uh, they really let the Clippers, who were giving the Warriors their best shot, I would argue, for three quarters, uh, they really gave them a bunch of light. And Montrez, Harrell, and Lou Williams just went completely off uh, second quarter, early third. Uh, 26 points from Harrell on 11 to 15. Lou Williams. 25 11 from 21 but lou was was on a roll there for a while in the second quarter where the score was really tight and and then they put andre iguodala on him and he started trying to play james harden ball and get into the line and then he wasn't getting the calls because it's playoff basketball and things change and and he kind of lost his mind there and the the clippers fell apart and, and we saw sort of that play out over the entirety of the second half is the Warriors couldn't get their act together but Stephen Curry just sort of willed them over the finish line. That was the Clippers' best shot and it was probably one of the worst games we've seen collectively from the Warriors in a minute. And yet it was 121 to 104. So I if we're using the the Pistons index there, it, it should be a 5 because there's just no there's no path that you can see to where the, the Clippers steal a game here. Uh, you just you just don't see it. That was their shot. It was a lot like last year's NBA Finals where if you were going to do it, you needed to do it early. And otherwise, you might as well just pack it in because unless you are playing it from ahead against the Warriors, you don't stand a chance. At the same time, it's the Clippers. And macro, no one expected them to be here. And they're in a really yeah. good position this postseason. And, you know, they showed some solid play and it's everything's hunky-dory and they're just happy to be here. So it's a zero.
0: Yeah, like, you know what? I mean, I... I- like I was talking to a, let's call it, high-ranking member of the hmm. Clippers front office okay. about this series uh, on Thursday. And I just was like, you know what? Like, I'm glad you guys are playing the Warriors because you guys will at least make the Warriors fight. Like, a little bit. You, you, you guys at least like play hard. The Warriors don't like your team. Like You guys will at least push them to a level that I don't know that... You know, maybe, maybe San Antonio would maybe have. San maybe San Antonio
1: would have, but the Clippers are an extra level of feisty above San Antonio, and maybe Oklahoma City just because of the animosity there and Russ being uh, the Tasmanian devil. But no, I, I agree with your assessment. The, the Clippers are wholly competent, and they're going to come wave after wave of just hard-nosed basketball.
0: Right. Like, there's no like left there's no expectation level here for the Clippers. Like they, no. they just aren't, This just, just, isn't who they are yet at this no. stage. Like they have an off season coming up where they're going to have all sorts of cap space to potentially go out and get the guys that they need to compete at this level. Right. They're not there yet. It's okay. Like
1: that's fine. And, and listen, you go across like yeah, Shea Gildress, Alexander played well. Uh, maybe Danilo Gallinari.
0: Gallinari, maybe he can up it. Thought,
1: he sucked. He sucked. I thought Clay Thompson yeah. locked him up a couple of times. You didn't really get anything from Zubac. Like Landry Shamit looked completely lost. Beverly got ejected, but he was interesting enough. Like they, they they don't stand a chance. But you know they can at least they can at least show well enough to where people feel good about the Clippers going forward. So it's a zero. I will say this about the Warriors. So I said they all kind of played like crap. Um, When Draymond Green's your, arguably your second-best offensive Stephen player— Stephen
0: Curry did not play like crap. I no, I'm
1: saying on the collective, right? Yes. yes. Of course, Stephen Curry did not play like crap. He had 38 points and was 8 of 12 from beyond the arc and had 15 rebounds and 7 assists. He had 4 turnovers, but like Stephen Curry was awesome. What I'm saying is Kevin Durant spent more time just kind of dicking around with Patrick Beverly than really attacking. And, and to Beverly's credit, he kind of took away some of the playmaking tendencies that Durant has shown— in recent weeks, which have really unlocked a lot of stuff for the Warriors who are at a moment struggling. My big concern out of all this is because Clay Thompson's not going to have another poor game like he did in game one. I think Durant can just do whatever the fuck he wants out there now that he's sort of felt out uh, what Beverly's going to do or whatever the Clippers can do. Um, but man, DeMarcus Cousins was unplayable in this game. And that was against Harrell and really against Zubac too. He just played himself completely out of the game. They attacked him in pick-and-roll again and again and again. He couldn't have been on the floor going forward with Lou Williams on the floor, which is you know kind of a big deal. And then offensively, they leave him wide open beyond the arc, and he shot three threes, and he dribbled it in a couple of times. But man, like six turnovers. Uh, he He was constantly trying to post up. The Clippers are playing just a complete slog up the lane defense. They're putting three guys down there uh four of 12 from the floor like he was minus 17 in a game where the warriors won by 17 and that's in the starting lineup like this is a lot of the concerns that that we saw middle of cousins warriors career here the short warriors career a lot of those concerns which is he's a terrible pick and roll defender and he doesn't exactly play within the flow of the offense sometimes both of those show up in game one against a team that, frankly, has no business being in the playoffs against the Golden State Warriors. That's a big issue with Houston possibly looming in the next round. In fact, most likely looming in the next round, given what we saw out of them. Like James Harden is going to have a goddamn field day with DeMarcus Cousins if he doesn't figure this shit out.
0: Probably true, but I don't know that it matters because they can just put Kavan in. Don't,
1: don't, 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 don't start me on my 45-minute Kavon Looney as the most underrated player in the NBA rant. This is my other podcast. It's just me talking Kavan Looney. So don't, don't, I don't want to bring that work here, Sam. Kavon's Andre Iguodala, great. Andre Iguadala, easy for me to say, was awesome in this game, by the way. Doesn't show up in the box score because it never does. But goddamn, uh, just totally awesome. And that was kind of a thing. The entire season because last year he sandbagged the entire regular season so he could play better in the postseason uh this year i, I don't know if he went to germany and got some stem cell injections or whatever some uh, plat- <laughs> platelet rich plasma or I, I don't know what he did but he played really well for the entire regular season carried that shit over into game one of the postseason my constant concern is does he have enough in the tank but he's got some pep in his step and if Andrew gadala is playing at the top of his game i mean the warriors are straight up unbeatable
0: Let's talk about the first game of the playoffs as our last game to discuss here the Brooklyn Nets beat the philadelphia seventy sixers that game is about to start as we're finishing up this podcast game two so I figured we'd save it for last just because it's not going to have like a ton of value necessarily no. uh I've got the Sixers at a three point five panic meter
1: yeah i'm um, at i'm at I'm at a three I'm at a three
0: yeah so this was a game plan win for Brooklyn like mm-hmm. The whole way, Kenny
1: uh, Atkinson, baby, bringing the Kenny Atkinson.
0: Game. Like I'm someone who has been like, you know what? Like I think Brett Brown gets a little too much shit, like for being a shitty coach. Fair. I thought Kenny Atkinson worked. This him. was an epic ass kicking.
1: Worked him. And listen, like, you, you and I have both been very much on the forefront of the Nets bandwagon.
0: Yeah, like I love the Nets, but but this, this was this a... was ridiculous. Like yeah. they. The, the Sixers have what the three best players on the court, at least maybe the four mm-hmm. best players, depending on if you like. Tobias I don't know Harris how high you DeAngelo hold Joe Russell.
1: Harris in esteem, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, well, no, D'Angelo or right. Tobias is like a question. I'd probably rather have D'Angelo, to be honest. But like, okay, but like, the Nets shoot
1: 43% and make 11 threes and still win this game.
0: Yeah, well, like the Nets shot really well from three in this game, and they shot really well from the yeah. line. They made 92% of their uh, free throws. They got to the line uh, 26 times versus Philadelphia getting there 42 times. Uh, despite that fact, uh, there's only a five point difference in free throws in this game because they had yeah, the, the foul for line. 25. Arc. Yeah. Three for uh, 25
1: is not happening again, though. Mike Scott might, uh, might be well served to not shoot eight three pointers again. Just a thought.
0: So he- here's the thing. This is a, this was a game plan win for Brooklyn. Brooklyn did a great, great, great job. I thought of getting Joel Embiid frustrated by crowding him. Big time. Uh, they did a great job of basically just you know allowing uh, or getting themselves shots. They got themselves open looks whenever they wanted. Mm-hmm. They forced Joel Embiid into space. They forced <laughs> Boban into space, particularly as well when he was on the floor. Can't believe In they played Boban. Philadelphia never adjusted. They never yeah. adjusted to what was happening no. on the floor, and JJ Redick so was awful. Headstrong. Ben Simmons was awful. Like awful. I don't think that you're going to get two performances in the rest of the playoffs from those two players worse than their game one performances. But maybe God, from Redick, awful.
1: but God, yeah, Simmons was horrific.
0: Like Joel Embiid in this game, seventy-two point seven offensive rating, one eleven point eight defensive rating.
1: It's like, well, a lot of the stuff you said about about Gobert. I don't think it was as pronounced, but put wasn't. him in space and let him dance.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it was a struggle. Like, D'Angelo Russell really caught them in the second half. Like, did, that, that's not what won the Nets the game, because no. what won the Nets the game was the trio of Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Lavert, and Ed Davis uh, on the bench. Those, those three were absolutely phenomenal. 18
1: points 23 points and 12 points respectively
0: yeah and ed davis had 16 rebounds uh before getting injured uh you know spencer dinwiddie just made folks dance the entire game out on the perimeter he was awesome uh jared Dudley, by the way off the bench was awesome too old grandpa
1: 27 minutes
0: yeah, and here's the thing: he just does all that little shit that doesn't show up in the box score. Like he yeah. taps out rebounds. Uh, exactly. He has these little touch passes that create another wide open look. Uh, he's awesome. He's if you don't have great. to
1: make a move too much, he's always in the right position too.
0: He's a really, really good basketball player. He really helps you all over the floor. Uh, I just don't like.
1: Yeah, what, what? What? I mean, is there a better version of the Nets that we're yet to see here? I don't feel like that's the case.
0: I don't think so. Like, I think that we saw apex nets, but I don't know that it's not like, like, I don't think that anything we saw is unsustainable either. No, that's fairly like maybe, maybe you don't get 12 points from Ed Davis again, but like we've yeah. seen, we've seen Karis LeVert do what he can do like regularly. We've seen no question. Spencer De- Dinwiddie do what yeah. he did all year, basically. Uh, Maybe you don't want to
1: rely on Jared Dudley for 27 minutes a game, though. Just a thought.
0: Maybe. But like D'Angelo Russell, you know, took 25 shots to get to 26 points. Like that can probably improve. Uh, They (laughs) did not get a great game from Jared Allen. I think Jared Allen probably isn't great for the series, to be honest. But uh, yeah, yeah, this is the Sixers are in a weird spot in the series, I think, because uh, Brooklyn is smart enough to just play off of Ben Simmons. And if I'm Brett Brown. What I am doing is finding myself... So I would play Joel Embiid, you know, 25 to 30 minutes a night, which is, you know, given the fact that he's hurt, like probably will be somewhere in that range. And I would play Ben Simmons at the five the rest of the way. I would Whoa. make teams guard... I would play small and make teams guard Ben. So like... Or maybe maybe it's like the four with Mike Scott at the five, but Mike Scott right. can stretch it out beyond the three-point arc. I would essentially play lineups of Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler... Um, JJ Redick, maybe it's Mike Scott and then Ben Simmons, or maybe it's Jonathan Simmons in there, or you know maybe it's TJ McConnell in there, but you have enough perimeter players to where you can play Ben at the five whenever mm-hmm. Joel is not in there.
1: That's interesting. Don't want to get, don't want to get too deep into it because I mean, they're about to tip off, but like <laughs> that's, uh, I like it, but ultimately it, it comes, it's a very simple, process ben simmons has to be much 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 better and
0: i think that's a way to make him better though you set him as a screener who can either slip a screen and roll all the way to the basket you know you can roll him out to the 12 foot range where he's comfortable maybe you get him in a mismatch situation if the team switches like there, there are just a lot of really interesting ways that i think you can utilize ben and very few of them at have this we? Stage, when
1: was? Have we seen that? All, have we seen that lineup at all this regular season?
0: I don't know that we have, to be honest. Yeah, like, that, I've watched a pretty good amount of Sixers. Like I, I, I feel was just like racking my brain. I don't think
1: I don't think that. we've seen Ben Simmons in a, a, a quasi five. And yeah, uh, you know,
0: like Brett Brown's pretty unimaginative, unimaginative coach, to be honest. Like it's which not is the worst why thing you in might the want world. To be taking but... back
1: that initial statement about you think he might get too much shit because. Well, he's listen. he's a good
0: culture builder. Like, there's more to being a coach than X's and O's and rotations. And
1: that's nice. It's the playoffs. I think you need X's and O's and rotations more than anything right now.
0: You do, like you do. Like, I'm not absolving him of that. Like, I, I think that he needs to get better at handling his rotations. Like, he he was awful at it. Having said that, I, I just
1: listen. The Sixers win game two. Everything's back to a, a state of normal. Like it doesn't, right. it doesn't feel like anything happened. You had a hiccup in game one, you're back on the path. I, I do think that this is plenty of fodder for those like me who didn't buy the Sixers coming into the postseason. Uh, but that's a big macro thing. And uh, so they, they played,
0: they played yeah. JJ Reddick, Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, Mike Scott, and Ben Simmons for 39 minutes this year. How'd that go? Plus 11 net rating. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, Jonah Bolden, like, they played Ben Simmons next to Jonah Bolden with T.J. McConnell on the floor. Mm. Um, That was a a plus 26-net rating.
1: Okay. How many minutes was that, though?
0: 34. Like, they did not do this stuff regularly. No, I,
1: I, I, I feel like I would have remembered it if I saw it in a game, but...
0: Maybe. Yeah, and, like, also, here's here's another example. Jimmy Butler, Mike Muscala, TJ McConnell, Ben Ooh. Simmons, Landry Shamit. So, essentially, stretch five, Ben Simmons at the four next to a point guard in TJ. Right. Plus 10 net rating. Get him off the ball. In 83 minutes. Yeah, so just... This, this is what I would do. That would be my adjustment. I don't know if they will do that. Um, so here, here's another one. Wilson Chandler, Jimmy Butler, Mike Muscala, Ben Simmons, Landry Shamet, plus 15 net rating in 68 minutes. Like, to me, that, that's how you kind of make up the tide.
1: It's an interesting thought. I don't know if it will come across Brent Brown's brain.
0: I mean, I would hope it would. Like, the, the Sixers have smart people that work for them. Like, I'm sure someone has thrown this to him.
1: It's true. It's true. But, you know, also, if you get a better game from Joel Embiid, this changes. If you yeah. if Ben Simmons just doesn't play like complete horseshit and, and take himself out of the game, I don't feel like Brooklyn even did that much to take him out. It, it just feel like he played like horseshit. Uh, that's there. If, if JJ Redick uh, is open more and, and doesn't, you know, he's going to give up what he gets, but you know, if he gets a little bit more, it's a totally different game. Um, it, it just felt like a confluence of, of garbage, which of course then Jimmy Butler took full advantage of. Cause that's how Jimmy Butler operates.
0: Jimmy was really good in this game, though. Like, he I, was. I don't wanna... That's my
1: point. Like, Everyone else was bad, and Jimmy Butler was good. This seems to be a uh, a trend for the Philadelphia 76ers, and when everyone is really good, guess who's
0: not all that great?
1: Yeah, it's a fair point. Sixers are weird. I'm not betting on them, but I do think they win this series nevertheless.
0: I do think they win this series, but I would hope that they win game two to do so. That game's about to start, though, Dieter. Uh, everything else good in your life?
1: We got to bounce. Don't tell me about... Uh, don't tell me about the movie. Don't tell me about. Uh, Can you ever forgive me? I was hoping to watch it on the plane because I'm coming down to L. A. on That's Wednesday right. Wednesday Very evening. Excited. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking because there are two days off, and uh, Lord knows this Warriors Clippers series won't won't lend itself to too much narrative. Hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed on that that things continue. I'm thinking we do a live in person game theory.
0: Ooh, that could work. Or we could just go get drinks.
1: We could put two of them together, or That's not. A good we'll point. figure that shit out. That's a good We got point. options, baby. I
0: did just clean the apartment. So the apartment is looking... Just got rid of this big, like, monstrosity of a DVD case. I'm someone nice. who still owns, like, 300-plus DVDs. <laughs> yeah, he does. Um, so we just got rid of the DVD case and, like, put them all in, like, shelving units. Like, we have, like, a bunch of storage space, basically. So what was the last time you cracked storage? open one of
1: them DVDs? Um,
0: mm, shorter time than you would have thought.
1: I was thinking, like... You do it once a week. No, that's bad. You should just get probably rid of them.
0: Two two weeks ago, probably.
1: You should you should take a week actually and just digitalize them all.
0: Yeah, that's not a bad idea. That's actually like really it's
1: just, smart. It's just like I have I have one I have one uh, milk crate of DVDs and like video games and stuff. Most of them I can get rid of i'm probably just going to digitalize them but then i also then have to set up some server and crap but like if you have the space for it and that's set up and that's what's going on just get them on a hard drive plug the hard drive into something and you're good to go uh like the roku or i don't know there there are means by which to get this done that are fairly effective but i don't want to do that with the 2005 white Sox commemorative dvd just yet so not for me but for you sounds good
0: yeah yeah i might have to do this um Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the Game Theory Podcast. We'll be back like, you know, every other day or something like that during the playoffs. Every two days, every three days, something like that. So make sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast. That way it'll jump right up in your feed. Uh, You know, how much we'll talk about random basketball stuff. How much we'll talk about in-depth basketball stuff. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, That's about all I got, though. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.